0: This is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. Given the Bible's persistent emphasis on the problem of idolatry, why suddenly in John are we confronted with the phrase come and see? This seems especially odd since the opening verses of John deliberately limit the reader's purview to the divine word which begins with the inscription in the beginning referring to Genesis. Obviously, Philip is calling Nathaniel to go out and meet Jesus, but why the emphasis on sight? What is John inviting us to see when the Bible repeatedly calls us to hear? Is John making an about-face with respect to idolatry, or is something else going on? Let's ask John Chrysostom. You're listening to the Bible as Literature.
1: Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton.
0: And you are listening to episode 59 of the Bible as Literature podcast. And before we start, I just want to say that last year we celebrated, after 12 months of programming, 100,000 downloads. Here we are in March, and we've already seen 50,000 downloads on the podcast. So I just want to say thank you to our listeners for your support and for continuing to stick with the podcast and share it with your friends.
1: Yeah, thank God for the support. Let's
0: talk about this Sunday.
1: You had some questions about this Sunday. Richard what were your questions this Sunday in the lectionary was the reading from John chapter 1 and the line that so many people love to use come and see and it's always something about come see us come see how we do things, come see our stuff, come see how wonderful we are. And it's always come see us. But the funny thing is in John chapter 1, we don't see that this is about us that we're going to go see. So can you explain how you were able to apply this in the context where it actually appears?
0: Well, this expression come and see in John is extremely problematic scripturally. Because the entire tradition from Genesis to Revelation invests itself entirely. It gives itself over completely to the polemic against depiction and against trusting in what the eyes see. This is a classic theme in Scripture. And the emphasis, of course, is because our God, the biblical God, is the God of a text. He's not the God of a statue. He's not the God of a temple. He's not the God of a mountain or a place. He's the God of a story, because a story presents to us a logos, which you can hear, but you can't see, which you can obey, but you can't see. And since you can't see it or the one who spoke it, you can't depict anything.
1: I think this is very clear in Ezekiel where when he has the vision of God, he never sees God. He sees all the trappings, but he doesn't see it, God himself. And as soon as he sees it, they're gone and they take off with the wind.
0: So why in John, come and see? Now, I know classical theology will say, well, you can see Jesus, come and see Jesus. But as you pointed out in the beginning of the podcast, they say that, but that's not how they apply it. They say it's about coming to see Jesus, but in their popular usage, it means come to our church and look at us and look at what we do, which is definitely anti-scriptural.
1: And I think there's also an aspect that we often lose, which is, oh, we can go see Jesus. No, actually, we can't see Jesus. The characters in the story can see Jesus. All we can do is hear the story about people seeing Jesus. Which
0: means that technically, you are in the same position as Israel was in days of old. The difference being that instead of Moses carrying the scroll of the law to you, it's Jesus. I think it's important that we, as addressees of the New Testament, are in the same position as those who received the Pentateuch the books of Moses, and heard the teaching of the books of Moses, but never met Moses or saw him, never saw God on Mount Sinai, only received the teaching. What's happening in the New Testament is that Jesus is bringing that teaching to the nations. So for those of us, as you point out, outside the story itself, we're in the same position as everybody else. We are simply hearing it, not even secondhand, but thirdhand. In terms of how the narrative functions. So, then what does this troublesome phrase come and see mean? Now, I had help from an old familiar friend on trying to crack this puzzle. Every once in a while, I like to pick up my copy of John Chrysostom and look at what he says about some of these texts. And what's interesting is that modern Christians tend to assume that the technical apparatus we use in modern biblical studies is modern. And they tend to cling to historical readings of the text and insist on historicity, which is actually an, a reaction against the Enlightenment in the West. But very early on in the fourth century in the are examples earlier than Chrysostom, but very early on in the fourth century, John Chrysostom was looking at the differences between Luke and Matthew and John, and he wasn't saying, which one is true? Which way did it really happen? He was asking the question in his sermons openly, why would John approach it this way and Luke approach it this way? In other words, what is the author saying? Not what happened really? What did Jesus really say or do? But what is Luke saying versus what is John saying? And Chrysostom points out that in Luke, when people are trying to follow Jesus, the response is that foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head, which is thoroughly scriptural and really embodies so much of the scriptural tradition because Jesus is saying, look, you want to follow me? I'm going nowhere. I don't have a home. My home is the kingdom of my father and everything here for me is temporary, and I'm a homeless man, I have no place to lay my head. You want to follow me, you become homeless. He's constantly on his way. Constantly on his way, the odos, right? He's on the way towards the kingdom under the instruction of his father. But then you have this example in John where people want to follow Jesus, and the first time you hear, come and see, what happens is they want to follow him, and he says, okay, come and see, and I'll show you but this kind of jumps out at you because you're expecting Jesus to say, I don't have a place to lay my head. This is Chrysostom's
1: point. Right, it seems like it's a contradiction.
0: Right, but this observation, which is a scientific observation, I mean, Chrysostom is doing scholarship. He's simply pointing out that in this example, you have something different than in this example. But then that work that Chrysostom did, the work of observation and attentiveness to the text, the science of attentiveness, opened up a world of possibilities for me in my reading of the text especially when i have now insights brought to bear by chrysostom and insights brought to bear by tarazi for example i can look at these two readings and say okay based on the data that tarazi is presenting and the data that chrysostom is presenting what might be going on here based on my own struggle with the text so then you come to the second example of come and see and in this example philip is specifically asking Nathanael to leave Israel. The fig tree is the metaphor of Israel. This is Terazi's point. But to actually get up and go out into Nazareth, go out to Nazareth, the Nazareth of the Gentiles, which in the story of John, the character confesses, what good can come out of Nazareth? So Jesus is saying, come and see. And then Philip is echoing Jesus, come and see. But you're being asked to come out into the land of the sinners. What you're being asked to see is not the temple in Jerusalem or the people of what human beings call the Holy City. You're not being asked to go see the synagogue or to see what's happening in the religious community. You're being asked to go out into the wilderness and to see the place. And this is what's powerful about Chrysostom's insight. I understand that Philip is inviting Nathaniel to see Jesus. But when you look at it in context of what Chrysostom is saying, they are being invited to go see where Jesus is. And he's in Nazareth. And this is fundamentally in contradiction With what people say all the time on the first sunday of lent and come and see and look at us and this is what we painted or this is what we built or this is how we sing because it's not just that they're inviting them to look at the works of men's hands they are inviting them to sit under the fig tree with nathaniel now Tarazi points out that the name nathaniel given by god implies god's gift so the inside community the religious community behaves as though they are God's gift sitting on their rear end under the tree which God provided as we read in Jonah. Mm -hmm. If you start to really mix our metaphors. So you didn't make the fig tree of Israel grow. So why are you sitting on your rear end? You should be out there. So come and see means come with me. Let's go see the street in Minneapolis where the homeless hang out. Come and see means let's go and see where People are forced to go into prostitution because we, the religious community,
1: are sitting under the fig tree. Or even if we think about Nazareth, let's go to the mosque. Let's go to the atheists. Absolutely. And that's what's even more powerful is come and see is to move out of where you are, wherever your identity is sitting. Whatever identity is sheltering you under whose leaves and shade you're taking comfort, this is what you're asked to leave. And this is what God gave is the ability to then move out from this shelter. I mean, I mentioned Ezekiel a moment ago. God came to Babylonia to give his word to Ezekiel. God goes out. That's why God has to have a chariot. God can't be in a temple because God can't just sit. God needs to be where the word is going to be effective. And this is where Jesus cannot have a place to live god the father cannot have a place to live they have to be constantly on the move and they have to constantly be out there and the way that you have this movement is you have the scroll and you have the word that's why the word of god can be in any hotel room in the united states because it's a bible
0: absolutely but
1: every church cannot be in the hotel room the church can only be where it's at and this is the shelter so it's not saying come to the shelter that we have come to the building that we have come to the identity that we have you have to always move out and that's where it becomes so important is you have to move out of the place where you're comfortable
0: not come together to celebrate the place where you're comfortable it's problematic the subject matter in church is scripture we are called all of us to be doctors of scripture and the example I gave was you wouldn't have a school for brain surgeons and invite them to come together to learn how to do brain surgery and then say that because in the hospital you have to have special doors to facilitate emergency entrance or you have to have a special type of furniture to facilitate emergency services, that those who are gathered to study brain surgery need to now study how to make electric doors and study how to design furniture. I mean, the design of furniture and the design of electric doors have a place but I don't want a brain surgeon who was studying furniture in school to do surgery on me.
1: Right, because what do they do when they go and join Doctors Without Borders and go outside of the comfortable, well-built hospital and have to go and perform surgery on somebody else? What they need is the thing that they can take with them in any situation to perform the thing that's needed. This is what I'm saying about the first
0: Sunday of Lent, though. What is needed is what is said in the Gospel of John. That should be the topic of the sermon on the first Sunday of Lent. And it's a counter message to what people want to hear and what they expect, but instead we want to talk about the profundity of our music and of our iconography and of our culture and so forth. It's very worldly, the way that we talk.
1: And I also like that it's contextualized in the service by the epistle reading of the Cloud of Witnesses. And this is really important because that reading is about how Look at all these people, without the story of Christ and the cross, were able to move out of their comfort, to be tortured in all different sorts of ways, and how they moved out. This isn't a cloud of comfort that we have. Look, we have the same identity as these people for whom the world is not worthy, as it mentions the people who were tortured, but they're witnesses. They're witnesses to how one should be living, and these are all people who were not comfortable in their identity. These were not people who were comfortable. They were people who moved out of everything that gave them comfort for the glory of God, and it's all about moving out. In the John reading, it's moving out from under the fig tree and moving out of the cool shade in the reading from Hebrews, it's moving out from the comfort of day-to-day life and finding a way to be comfortable in how one lives one's life as a Christian. But No, it says everyone who came before us of any worth died, was tortured, and had very miserable things happen to them. Now, he's not saying you must have miserable things happening to you, but he's saying you have to be ready to move out. You have to be ready to leave that place where you're comfortable.
0: Yeah, it makes me think of these young people and journalists people who out of personal conviction out of religious conviction out of their professional ethic and their desire to pursue what their conscience tells them is the necessary thing these people have gone to serve the people in the middle east and to help the people there and to be with them to tell their stories to minister to them in, in many and in various ways these are the people who are risking their life by going out into the wilderness these are the people are being kidnapped by the militants and executed each one of them has a beautiful story and each one of them has displayed tremendous courage each one of them motivated by the very same principles that we are confronted with in the gospel of john which is to come and see outside of your own community the plight of others come see outside of your own community where the rest of the world lives and how they live.
1: Come meet God
0: in Nazareth.
1: It reminds me of a story that I heard shortly after the beginning of the war in Afghanistan in the early 2000s, and there were a couple of women who were in Afghanistan doing humanitarian aid work, and they are arrested by the Taliban before they fell for being missionaries. They said, no, 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 we're not missionaries, we're not missionaries. And once the United States invaded, the Special Forces liberated these women and brought them back to the United States. And these women said, yes, we were missionaries, and that's what we were doing when we were there. It was upsetting to me because the whole point of this reading from Hebrews and also this reading from John is that you're supposed to leave what's comfortable, but instead of going to Afghanistan in order to leave what was comfortable, they were still sheltered by the fig tree of American military strength even when they were in trouble and so what they did was they were a witness to the power of the American military and were not witnesses to the power of the gospel they left the comfort supposedly of the United States but in the end the end of their life showed that they didn't leave the comfort of the United States when things got really bad for them They were able to come back to the United States, no problem. And that was something that was really difficult for me to hear because this reading is really pushing us saying, no, you have to go to the outside. Father Paltarazzi says in one of his articles, if you want to be a missionary to the Muslims, give up your American passport. Become a citizen of the country you want to be in. If you want to preach the gospel in Iran, get Iranian citizenship. Leave that comfort 100% of being an American And then you can see what kind of suffering you're willing to do on behalf of the gospel, how far you're willing to leave the comfort of the shade of the fig tree of your identity and military might and all those things that give you comfort. See if you can live up to the testimony of the cloud of witnesses who show what is important about going outside of what makes one comfortable for the sake of the gospel. Then you can actually do the work that's needed. Well, this is what
0: Gandhi did, in fact. And Gandhi, at least in the way that history is presented in popular literature, had a Western education you know, functioned well in English society. When he made a decision to go back and to serve his people, he pushed and went deeper into Indian culture and lived with the common people, dressed like the common people, ate like the common people, accepted their standard of living and became one of them in order to minister to them. It's exactly the same statement. It's very powerful.
1: The importance of leaving that comfort is really what is to be taking from this first Sunday of Lent and what it means to be in Lent is that we're supposed to take on those things that are uncomfortable to us. We're supposed to move out in order to go see.
0: Right, and I think that this insight, that even this idea of coming to see and going outside the community, even this metaphor can be turned to say, whatever your situation is, if you're comfortable, you just move out of that situation. It's not even about moving out of the church into the world, which is certainly a dominant theme, but it's about moving out of your situation into the situation of somebody else in need. Anyhow, I think this is really powerful stuff And it's my hope that people will hear the Word of God and at least consider its proposition and consider the possibility that they might let go of the things that they cling to for the sake of others.
1: If people are willing to give up those things that make them comfortable for the sake of the Gospel or understand the witness and the testimony against them for accepting what's comfortable without a second thought, I think this can move us to the place that we need to be.
0: That's a great way to end this program on the first week of Lent. Thanks very much. Well, we're we're now starting the second week of Lent. Thanks very much for taking. You've just heard the Bible as Literature. Thanks for listening.
1: The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.